This is Heart to Heart with Hospice Quinty on 91X. Heart to Heart features important and worthwhile conversations about hospice palliative care and end-of-life issues. Here's Jennifer May Anderson. Today, I am joined by Linda Van Norman, who has been a visiting volunteer with Hospice Quinty since 2017. Visiting volunteers provide up to four hours of service each week with families who are facing a terminal illness. These dedicated volunteers have an incredible impact on the lives of the patients they serve and the family and friends of the terminally ill. A visiting hospice volunteer can fill the gap between family members and professional caregivers. They are trained to meet the needs of the patients and loved ones, visiting on a schedule that is open to change as the needs of the patient and family change. Thank you very much for visiting us today, Linda. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jennifer. Could you share a little bit about your personal experience with hospice palliative care? Um, Sure. Um, Getting involved with palliative care would never have actually crossed my radar had it not been for the fact that I was a caregiver myself. Um, This was about 16 years ago with my first husband, Rick. And uh, I can give you a little background on that if you'd like. I would love for you to do that. Um, So we were your typical couple in the 40s, you know, busy lives, two careers, um, paying the mortgage, three kids, you know, university through high school. So you can imagine how surprised we were uh, when he was diagnosed with an aggressive stage four brain tumor. Uh, Immediately, your lives are turned upside down and your whole future kind of disappears on you. And what you are left with is just um, living in the moment, I guess you'd say. Um, So first thing, you just deal with what needs to be dealt with, surgery. Uh, That was followed by five weeks of radiation every day driving to Sunnybrook Hospital. And then after that, chemotherapy. So we had a brief time, maybe six weeks, of um, what you could consider normal life before the disease progressed again. And uh, so suddenly we're faced with seizures and uh, mobility issues. So he quickly went from a cane to a walker to a wheelchair, um, which was difficult enough, but I think the more difficult parts were the uh, emotional and cognitive changes that he went through. So um, suddenly the strong husband that you're used to leaning on is now more like a belligerent five-year-old. And we are left uh, trying to juggle, you know, a job and being at home. And I wasn't aware, I was certainly not made aware of any visiting hospice people at that point. So we were doing all this on our own. And family was um, four to five hour drive away. So they would do what they could, but it was intermittent. And friends um, would come to visit. And then suddenly that starts dropping off because it becomes a little more uncomfortable for people. And also, it's not that they didn't care. It was just the fact that um, they didn't want to intrude, I guess. I think that what you're saying is so common in mm-hmm. in what I hear from families that Hospice Quinty serves. Number one, not knowing that hospice services are there. Right. Or um, even necessarily before a person gets to a point in their illness where they decide that curative treatment is not what they're looking for, that there might be visiting services from other agencies. Um, And then the second thing is, is that those friendships, um, those people who are not family, but are close to you in your life, have a hard time. And and I do think it is, as you say, not a lack of care and concern. But we, we, as a society, don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. Um, And because it's not something 
that we deal with on a day today basis. Exactly, exactly. So that's that's what we were faced with. And it becomes very isolating. Um, You know, at at some point, I was required to take a leave of absence from work, and he required 24-7 care. Um, Our oldest daughter was engaged, and she was living away from home. Our son was away at school, so I relied very heavily, and I do regret this, on an 18-year-old girl to help me out a lot. And... um, I think, you know, I came home from work one day to find out he had been verbally abusive to her. And this was not the way her father would have treated her. So uh, I quickly realized that I had to be home all the time. And he also became um, a bit of a danger to himself and to us. Uh, Some of it was comical and some of it was dangerous. So he would turn on the stove or the oven in the middle of the night. He used to love watching water run, so he'd plug the sink and let the water fill up the sink and run over the counter and in the kitchen. Um, so you're really kind of at your wit's end, and you are you're burning the candle at both ends, I guess, trying to be compassionate, and then you're, your whole future is gone as well. Um, at some point, we were informed about palliative care, and uh, it, it was like a you know, a light bulb <laughs> moment. I will get back to that, but I, sure. I don't want to skip over all of the challenges that you said you faced. Yeah. And I want to tell you that I'm so appreciative of you being so open and candid about that. I think that uh, when people talk about, oh, uh, we would like to die at home, or mm-hmm. he wants to die at home, or she wants to die at home, they don't see how long that journey is and don't see all the challenges that may face you on that journey. You had the complications with the cognitive uh, situation with your husband's illness, uh, but still there are all those physical limitations and assisting with personal care. And it's, it's a lot for people. It is a lot. And I mean, it's everything from dealing with medications on a daily basis and sorting everything out, watching the clock to make sure we got medications at the right time. Um, to simple things like just trying to change the sheets on his bed because he had a hospital bed brought in at that point. Um, it's difficult when you're kind of one person on your own doing that. And, um, yeah, you're dealing with their everyday care. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's very, very hard. And as I say, you're compassionate, but when, when you're sleep-deprived yourself, so I would go up to bed at night and yet stay awake most of the night listening for him moving about in his wheelchair because uh, he liked to be awake all night. So I sort of got to the point where I would sleep when he slept, like with a newborn. <laughs> and uh, and then you're also, um, this was in the pre-Facebook days, so you're kind of a social convener. Everybody wants to know how he's doing. So the phone rings and it rings and it rings, and you get tired of saying the same stories of, you know, over and over and over again. So there's difficulties there. Yeah, yeah. it is a whole the whole spectrum of mm-hmm. your social life, your work life, your financial life, yes. your yes. family life, sure. just everything. It is, yeah. yeah. But you did say you had some light come in because you found out it about did. hospice palliative care. And how did that change things for you? Well, it changed for us because he had gone in um, for a checkup for a CAT scan and they realized the tumor was back bigger than ever. And this was not, this was sort of the end. Um and they told us about palliative care at Sunnybrook. So we, my daughter, my older daughter, and I took a walk over with him and went to visit. And I was just overwhelmed by the caring people that were there. So we visited the site with him. We saw where he would be. We were on a waiting list, of course. Um, and what I learned was that he would have 
24-7 care. He would have um, doctor visits five days a week. There'd be a doctor on call all the time. So I used to worry about that when you'd have a seizure or fall, you know, how do you get medical care very quickly? So that was taken care of. Um, his meds, I no longer had to worry about his meds. Um, his meals were prepared for him. He would have visiting physiotherapists, uh, recreational therapists, spiritual counseling. They even had um, service dogs that would come in to visit, which he loved. So uh, it was wonderful. So we went home, and we waited about a week, and then we got a call that he could come in. And uh, we brought him in. It was very difficult. His parents came with us. Um, very hard on them. You know, they're not supposed to see their son die before them. So, um, but you know, when we got in, I think we all felt a big weight lifted off our shoulders because we knew he was being cared for. And then all I had to do was just be his wife, which was something that I was uniquely qualified for. Um, so I would go and visit every day. I'd be there from the time he had his breakfast until bedtime. And then I was able to go home and get a good night's sleep and start the next day fresh. And that was a huge help. But palliative care was not just for him. While his needs were all being taken care of, and there was someone to talk to him at three in the morning when he wandered around and got into mischief, um, there was care for us too. And if I had had a bad day with him, and I remember one particular time, and I was kind of in tears, and I was leaving. It was about 11 o'clock at night, and the nurse on the desk outside his room um, held up her finger. She was on the phone. She said, just wait for a second. And I did. And all I wanted to do was get out of there. I just had had enough. And she said, no, wait. And she talked to me. And she explained, you know, how sometimes people take it out on those that are closest to them. And it was fabulous. Like the compassion that I received was wonderful as well. I think, too, you're just... Um, I know your story is mm. unique to you. Yes. However, it has so many uh, commonalities to so many stories that I hear that uh, going into a hospice uh, allows you to be that family member again, allowed you to be yes. your husband's wife again. Yep. And also that hospice palliative care is not only for the person with the terminal illness, but the people oh. who are providing that care are providing that care for everyone who yeah. is around that patient. Yes, kids could come and visit. They came whenever they had free time. Um, friends, coworkers started coming by because word gets out, you know, and all of a sudden they feel they're in a neutral place where they can come and drop by for half an hour and not worry about intruding. So all of a sudden, people started coming back into our lives and, and his life, you know. And uh, so that was one of the many, many benefits of palliative care for me. Well, thank you for sharing that story. And I know that you're also a volunteer for Hospice Quinty. So what, what prompted you to take that on as a project for yourself? Um, you know what? I just I never really forgot the compassion that I received. And I realized that the compassion was so such a simple thing to give and so valuable to a family member that I thought, yeah, I think I can, I can do this. And it, it took a bit of effort. Um, but yeah, I looked into it and I thought, no, I can do this. I can pay this forward to someone else and help another family out a little bit in their time of need. Has being a visiting hospice volunteer changed you in any way? Has it changed me? Um, I think it's made me more aware of... Um, certainly my community and what's going on in my community. And when you drive around, you realize how many people are in need uh, that weren't you never noticed before. So um, 
yes, it's changed me in that in that way, and uh, just being able to go in and um, having the privilege of visiting a family at a time of need and being able to give them a few hours, whether it's with the patient, um, you know, or with allowing some respite for a caregiver, uh, you know, I think it's very valuable. And what advice would you give to someone who's considering becoming a visiting volunteer with Hospice Quinty? I think if you're considering it, um, don't be afraid of it. Number one, there's um, wonderful training. So I went through, I think it was 10 weeks of training where you meet other people, like-minded people from various backgrounds and ages and experiences, um, and you learn a lot of wonderful things. And don't be frightened because you're never really alone. Even though you may be in someone's home, um, help is only a phone call away if you need to. And I find that Hospice Quinty uh, is very supportive of their volunteers and very appreciative of their volunteers. And it's very rewarding, I find. Well, that's good to hear. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Um, And I think that what you have shared with us was very candid, very personal. And so Mm -hmm. certainly I appreciate you being so upfront about that. And I also think that um, even your story after your experience with your husband is typical, again, of people who have experienced hospice palliative care, in that that gives people a desire to give back and to give others that same care that they had received. I also think that it certainly shows that um, while we have a fantastic program with our visiting volunteers, that uh, there is a need for a hospice residence Mm -hmm. in our area so we can provide those services. Just a, a final word, what advice would you give to someone who was in your position and looking after someone who was terminally ill? What would you just in a, in a couple of sentences, tell them. Um, certainly reach out and get some volunteer, um, visiting volunteer to come in and give you some respite because everybody needs a break to look after themselves. Um, whether it's take care of business or go get your hair cut or whatever, go have a coffee with friends, you need that to support yourself. Otherwise, you don't really have a lot to give to your loved one, you know. Thank you so much, Linda. I do appreciate this time you've given to us. Yeah, it was my pleasure. (laughs) Learn more about hospice at hospicequinty.ca and listen for Heart to Heart regularly at this time on Alternative Radio 91X.